Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Hi, welcome to the Bechtelcast. My name is Caitlin Durante. And my name is Jamie Loftus. And what do we do here, Jamie? Sorry to put you on the spot. (laughs) No, it's fine. It's a test. Uh, Well, this is our our podcast about the representation of women in movies using the Bechtel test as a jumping off point for discussion. How did I do? That was so wonderful. Thank you so much. And the Bechtel test, if you're not familiar, if perhaps you're tuning in for the very first time Mm -hmm. is a media test. Um, And actually, I wanted to go into a little bit more detail than we normally do because I think this is like the perfect episode and the perfect movie to Mm -hmm. provide just a little more context and talk a little bit more about the origins of the Bechtel test than we normally do. You're being a real lead Deb right now. I I am the squad leader the squad, squad captain leader. we're gonna get into a fight <laughs> but by the end we will make up and yes our and friendship. one of us will be in love and the other one will be in charge so you'll be in love and i'll be in charge okay that's because that's how our normal lives are right now <laughs> okay anyway so allison bechtel queer icon uh she inadvertently created the bechtel test in her book dykes to watch out for published in 1985 um i feel like some people think that she like deliberately set out to create this specific media test but it was more than a comic it was like a one-off yeah comic. It, it appeared in the book and then that was later co-opted into the test that we now use and that is widely used to apply to you know media and movies and things like that allison bechtel Credits the idea to her friend Liz Wallace and to the writings of Virginia Woolf, specifically Woolf's essay, A Room of One's Own, um, which is a feminist text. Love it. 
the Bechtel test is sometimes referred to as the Bechtel-Wallace test, mm-hmm. um, which Alison Bechtel is said to prefer. But we are jerks, so we only call it the Bechtel test. I love when friends credit friends. Yeah. It's critical. It's it's great. Um, and then in the comic, Doug's to watch out for, um, it has two lesbian characters. And the context of their conversation is that there is so little queer women representation in movies that the only way for them to imagine that a female character in a movie might be a lesbian is if she is seen talking to another woman and they are not talking about men. Mm-hmm. So that is the origin of the Bechtel test, and I just wanted to share that to our listeners. And let's share the uh, original comic on our on our Twitter as yes. well. I know it's readily available, so we can do that as well. Indeed. Caitlin's History Corner. Yeah. A new segment on every episode no, coming please out. No, please God, no. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we introduce our guests? Let's do it. I'm so excited. We've got two today. Yes. A very exciting time. They are the hosts of the Les Hangout podcast. It's Lee Holmes Foster and Ellie Brigada. Hi. <laughs> Did I say that right? Brigada. <laughs> it's Brigida. Brigida. But I think you should change it to Honestly, Brigada. I love it. Brigada. It sounds a little bit more like the things that I love. Sounds like a, <laughs> sounds like a beverage or yeah, bread. Mm. So sorry for <laughs> fucking up your name, but <laughs> welcome. It's all good. They literally messed up my name at my graduation, and I waited for no. them. I was like, you are going to get it right. So they said it like seven times, and then I finally walked. <laughs> that is an incredible flex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> So tell us, uh, Lee, let's start with you. Um, what okay. is your history, your relationship with the movie? Oh, by the way, today's movie is Debs. Yes. Debs is a 2000- cult classic. Yes, a 2000, technically 2004, but released widely in 2005. Mm-hmm. Rom-com, technically, although it feels like a decom to me in a lot of ways. <laughs> I was getting a lot of decom vibes. Sure. Oh, yeah, so many green screens. Yeah, so many green screens and, like, goofy, like, boing kind of music. (laughs) Very decom. It's so great. I loved it. What is your experience, Lee? Okay, so my experience, so I, because I'm going to say, yeah, I I feel like I first saw Debs in college, um, which would make sense. That was, like, right after it came out. And I would say my experience with Debs is that for a really, really long time, when we would try to talk to, like, friends or, or people about, like, queer movies, we would say for a long time, there's, like, one, like, good queer movie that's, like, a real movie, which is Imagine Me and You, and then there's, like, two amazing, like, campy movies, and those are Debs and But I'm a Cheerleader. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for a long time, Debs was, like, that go-to of, like, it's so terrible and amazing just all at the same time and there just wasn't a lot else out there so (laughs) so you'd kind of just watch those we talked about this on our but i'm a cheerleader episode where our guest was like there are only two fun lesbian movies (laughs) and one of them is but i'm a cheerleader and the other one is deb's this has been like a request for a long time yes it's such a classic it's such, yeah, it's such a horribly amazing movie. <laughs> the first time that I ever saw it actually was when I watched it with Lee. We oh, do a segment yeah. on our podcast, yeah, called Les You've Essentials. you seen it? I had never seen it. Yeah, it was the first time that I had seen it. And I don't know why I hadn't seen it before, but I'm also a bit younger than Lee. So I was 
I was definitely not a lesbian or I was a lesbian, but I wasn't out when Debs came out. Mm. Um, So I saw it for the first time then and have since watched it probably five or six times. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because everything else is so depressing. Like if you want to watch something upbeat and lesbian, like that's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Jamie, what's your relationship history? Uh, Like most movies, I'd never seen it before (laughs) uh, until today. And I watched (laughs) and I watched it twice in a row. And it's like it's so up my alley in so many ways. But it's just like the low budge vibes you get from it. The multitude of like the character actors are out in this movie. Some wild character actor choices uh the outfits are weird i just it's it's everything it looks like it costs seven dollars to make and i love i love jordana brewster and it was just she's great in this she's so good and it's weird because i don't i haven't seen i mean i guess i'm mostly judging her catalog from seeing on her on my mom's soaps when i was really young because oh. uh, she started as a soap star mm-hmm. and, and seeing her in the fast and the furious movies but this is the most personality i've seen her ever display ever it was just like oh i really like this movie mm-hmm. yeah. yeah what about you caitlin um i had not seen it either mm-hmm. um i knew of it just because it, it had been requested it's a common request yeah uh for us to do on the podcast and that was the first time i learned about it i th- i think it's oh, just really? yeah i remember someone in like a college film class i took presented on it and being like college myself i'm like oh yeah i'll watch that and then i was like no nah, i'm not gonna watch a movie <laughs> It's homework. It somehow flew under my radar, which is unfortunate that this like fun queer movie was not even in my like wheelhouse or I just I wasn't aware of it because I feel like I have a pretty good handle on most movies, even if I haven't seen them, I've heard of them or I know about them. You've been so, to film school twice for crying out loud. Thank you so much for bringing yeah. it up. Because, um, you know, I don't like to mention that I do have a master's degree in screenwriting from Boston University. But, uh, yeah, it just... When it, did you go to BU? I went there between 2012 and 2014. Oh, we were probably there at the same time. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Boston. Wild. Yeah, that's where I did my PhD, so. Oh, oh wow. okay. Uh, trying to talk about either. I'm sorry. So. Um, <laughs> sit down, Dark Durante. Dark are you trying to upstage me <laughs> on my oh, own Oh, I'm sorry. Podcast? I just got my much more impressive degree there <laughs> at the same time, though. <laughs> oh, my blood okay. pressure just no, spiked. Not, not even at all. very stressful. <laughs> Wait, what did, what did you study? Chemistry. Oh, Hey, a woman in STEM. That's that's why it's like not impressive at all, and no one that's, ever wants to hear about it. You know, it's you're. Fine. I'm not impressed by your PhD in chemistry at all. <laughs> <laughs> I think we also overlapped with Ocasio Cortez, though, didn't we? Oh, but. she was. I think she graduated in 2011. I think something like that. That sounds right. Yeah. So I, I I missed her. So she and I overlapped. So once again, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> This is a this the is a worst. spicy cast. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Uh, I'm never getting invited back to anything cast. ever. <laughs> no. You have a PhD in chemistry. You can do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't earned mean, it. I didn't mean for my reaction to be like, oh. It was more like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. I'm actually very impressed. And you're a woman in STEM, so that's great. Let me tell you the most common response that I think I've gotten when I 
if I tell people that I have a PhD in chemistry, I think the most common response is, what else do you do? Um, <laughs> really? So I'm not offended by any response. Who are these people? Do that. That's fine. I want to fight these people. <laughs> Lee has fought them. Oh, good. I don't good. fight them. <laughs> I just tell them about my awesome lesbian podcast. That's all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just have two very niche things. It's cool. Oh, also, really quick, I, w- I also got some, just taking the temp from the room, I was also getting some Josie and the Pussycat vibes from this movie Ooh. visually. Like yes. if Josie and the Pussycats had like a fourth of the budget. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like that. That's my statement, and I'm and like a zillionth of the star power. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> They're like, we have Holland Taylor, but we only have her for three hours, so make it count. <laughs> and she'll only film in one room, so we have to green screen it every time. Fifty percent of this movie takes place in the same room, and I love it. <laughs> okay, so uh, should I do the recap of the movie Debs? Yes, please. Okay. Please. We start with some wild voiceover that says that there is a secret test hidden within the SAT that measures a student's innate ability to lie, cheat, fight, and kill. And those who score well on this test are recruited into a secret paramilitary academy, Mm -hmm. and they call themselves DEBS, D-E-B-S. The like first thirty seconds of this movie, I was like, oh, "What? The, huh? I had to like watch it three times to just be like, I f- get the feeling they're not going to explain this again, and they don't. <laughs> they never do. Also, no, never do. do we ever find out what Debs stands for? Yes, we do. We do. What and is it? Endgame. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we I find out that. at the very end. Uh, what does it stand for? It stands uh, for discipline, mm-hmm. energy, and beauty. beauty. Oh. <laughs> But it's also like debutantes because Endgame is like prom, basically. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, she does. I for, doesn't like Holland Taylor indirectly define it like ten minutes before the movie's over. Yes, a choice. Yeah, when she's reprimanding a, Amy, a choice was made okay. for being a big old lesbian. <laughs> so. How dare she? Yes. <laughs> You're one to talk, Holland Taylor. You're <laughs> one to talk. I know. There, I, but this was like pre... Holland Taylor didn't come out until a few years ago, right? Yeah, she was not Paulson. out when this movie was made. She was I mean, leaving, for sure. She was leaving breadcrumbs mm-hmm. for all of us. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that's some of the background on Debs. Um, then we meet several of the Debs as they're on their way to Debs Academy. Um, it's almost like Santa University a little bit. It's almost like Santa University. We're definitely getting some Santa wow. University vibes. Yeah, for sure, for sure. We meet Dominique. She is French. She's always smoking a cigarette. Uh, Very sex positive. Yeah. Uh-huh. She's got many different dudes in her bed over the course of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, we meet Janet. She's a little absent-minded. She's a little flighty. Um, we meet Max. She is the squad captain. And then we meet uh, Amy. She is the top student at Deb's Academy. She's a great spy. And she is in the middle of breaking up with her boyfriend, Bobby. Oh, Bobby. Bobby. He sucks so hard. What a chode. <laughs> they did not do, they're like, no, no, nothing that's likable for Bobby. <laughs> hey, Jeff Stultz would have been f- like hot off of his seventh heaven run at this point right true oh i had i forgot that that was where i recognized him from there are so many people in this movie where you're like oh i know that you're from somewhere 
Uh, yeah, I feel like he wasn't much more likable in Seventh Heaven to me. I mean, I, he's pretty horrible in this movie, though. Yeah, he's the worst. Yeah. I mean, down to the puka shells. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Always bragging about his dad. Yeah. Uh, puka shells that belong to his father, right? What is that? Yes. He's yeah. like, you're my dad's shells. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> Please sort this out in therapy. Keep your shells out of this. Yeah, for for real. He carries around a collection of his father's bracelets for some unknown reason. <laughs> and it's always like urgent for him to put the bracelet on her in midair. Yeah. He's like, no, you gotta put it on my dad's bracelet now. <laughs> Love it. Um, okay, so then the, the four of these Debs meet up with Phipps, who is played by Michael Clark Duncan. Love it. And Ms. Petrie, who is Holland Taylor. And queer icon. Queer icon. And they're like, hey, Lucy Diamond is back in the States. And Do you think Lucy Diamond might be a reference to something? Um, Nothing that I've ever heard I actually of. don't really. Such a general name. It's so weird that those two words would be associated. I don't know. I feel like it's completely original and not an allusion to anything. Sick. Just checking. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So she, Lucy Diamond is a smuggler she's the leader of a crime syndicate she's jordana brewster she's ridiculously hot she's She's very hot very which amy definitely recognizes Uh yeah oh i just didn't expect her to be so real real (laughs) so good she's straight out of like many uh shampoo hair commercials even though no one's ever survived an encounter with her (laughs) right yeah yeah. Um, and she is planning to meet up with an ex KGB turned assassin named Nikotchka. Ninotchka. Ninotchka. I like Nikotchka a lot more. I <laughs> simply cannot pronounce names, is what I'm I mean. Yeah, Nikotchka Brajana. Finding out. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so Phipps is like, hey, Debs, do surveillance on Lucy, but here's the thing it's very dangerous because Lucy has never fought anyone who has lived to tell about it. Mm. Amy is especially excited because she's writing her thesis on Lucy Diamond. Of course, she is. And are they supposed to be the same age? That was a question. I was like, are you right? Was she writing her thesis on some someone her age, or is she supposed to be a little bit older? It's really unclear in the same way that it's unclear. Like, it seems like they're supposed to be in college through this, but they treat right. them like high schoolers the whole time. And they're dressed they're like dressed. stereotypical <laughs> yes. private school high school student. Well, I don't know typical private high school. Well, I guess, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, they would definitely be sent to the principal's office. They're <laughs> yeah, they're dressed like a Halloween costume of oh, a Catholic yeah. school <laughs> Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think they're meant to be, like, seniors in college, basically, because they say okay. they're in their fourth year of Deb's Academy. So Lucy's just like a renegade dropout who blazed her own trail and thus is essay material. True. Yeah. Hard to say how old Lucy is meant to be. I got the impression that she was maybe a few years older than the Debs. But again, hard she's to say. She's hot. I mean. Right. <laughs> um, here's what we know. She's hot. She has a friend named Scud. Yes. I don't Scud. have any more questions. <laughs> <laughs> and we meet the two of them and we find out that Lucy is planning to meet up with this Ninotchka woman uh, because they are going on a blind date. Mm-hmm. And we're like, whoa, Lucy is a queer icon, as it turns out. Scud is really wanting Lucy to be in love mm-hmm. because Scud is such a good wingman. 
Scud is like it's practically his job. Like we don't really see him do much else other than be like, "You gotta be in love, Lucy. Move on. You yeah. got this." I was like, "Damn, Scud, you're really rooting for her." Uh-huh. Scud is like a walking lesbro slash motivational poster in human form. <laughs> yeah, you have to be open to love. <laughs> He's so supportive. It's great. Peak Scud. So the Debs go to the restaurant for this stakeout and. Lucy shows up and she's there with her date and it's not going very well. They're and then... in a very tall restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> the ceilings are like 80 feet high. And no one ever looks up. No. no. Lucy It actually does. is a pool. If anyone noticed. No. I just noticed this Whoa, for the first really? time. Yeah, it's it's definitely an empty pool that they turned into a restaurant because on the wall it says like something about swimming. And if you look on the sides, there are little things that say the height of it which is six feet so it's not that tall oh my god fun fact excellent budget they had there great (laughs) great great so lucy does spot the debs who are just like hanging out in the rafters and so this leads to a big shootout whoa 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 whoa. wait it's not that she spots them it's that bobby Drops an idiot with the bracelets ahead of his Chekhov's his gun bracelets. bracelets. Yeah. As you're so wont to do when you're hanging in little swings from a restaurant's 30-foot ceiling on an espionage stint. Right. They're all in, like, circus swings yeah. is part of the plan. <laughs> and then, like, every single one of Bobby's dad's bracelets is a Chekhov's gun the second it comes out because oh, no. <laughs> it's just going to happen. I would also like to believe that there's an entire semester's class of Deb's Academy that is solely devoted to balancing on those swing seats. On the circus swings? Well, because yeah. they, like, move. They can, like, shift them back and forth. Right. Like, and they don't seem seems... perturbed at all. No. And the swings don't swing that much. They seem pretty stationary. Yeah. <laughs> I'm interested in this technology. Same. <laughs> so there's this big shootout, and uh, Lucy and Amy find themselves face-to-face, but mm. instead of killing each other, they sort of vibe. I love that scene. Yes, it's great. And then Lucy gets away, and she goes to Scud, and she's like, hey, I met someone. Her name is Amy Bradshaw. And Scott is like, you can't like her. She's a Deb. She's and she's like not she's, just a Deb. She's yeah. like the neo Deb. She's Debs. the perfect score. Which again, we just have some very subtle coded language in here. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and then Lucy sneaks into Amy's room, and she's like, "Go out with me. If you do, I'll tell you what you want to know for your thesis." Janet crosses their paths, one of the other Debs, and so she and Scud get dragged along to this, like, nightclub that they end up going to, and Amy and Lucy start to get to know each other, and then they almost kiss. And also, Scud and Janet are vibing. They're vibing. There's a pool table. There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. There's a pool table. There's a bunch of people that are, like, straight out of your, you know, mid-2000s mall hot topic. (laughs) So many mohawks. Uh (laughs) It's a lot of, like, giant metal ball necklaces. There actually is a guy with a potato sack on his head, too. I'm not even kidding. Wait, (laughs) really? I've seen this movie so many times that the last time I watched it, I paused it out of certain point because i was like is that a potato sack and it was <laughs> oh my god <laughs> so just letting you know well, look out for that 
A lot of Easter eggs. Because I will watch this movie again. I think it's so much fun. Yeah, it's a blast. So she and Lucy almost kiss, but Amy is confused about her sexuality, so she gets up and leaves abruptly. And now we're back at uh, Deb's Academy, and Ms. Petrie is all like, hey, Amy, lead this investigation to find Lucy, and she also gets promoted to squad captain. Because she survived the Lucy encounter. Yes, so everyone's like, wow, what a hero. And then Max is all upset because she's like, wait a minute, I'm squad captain. This means there's some tension between Amy and Max. And as they stated, whilst on the swings, they're best friends. And also, Max did something that I'm like, okay, this isn't what a great friend would say, but it did make me laugh. Of when she was just like, promise you'll never go to art school. I'm like, I wish I had a friend who had said that to me. (laughs) Right, because uh, Amy doesn't have that much interest in being like a spy. She wants to go to art school in Barcelona. Exactly, yeah. Which is just like, I feel like the default for any like broody girl in a 90s, 2000 movie. (laughs) Yeah. I just want to be an artist. Or or a lesbian. I mean, just any lesbian. (laughs) Either or. Right. It should have been a hint. Read the Ugh. signs, Amy. Read the signs. <laughs> so then um, Lucy robs a bank just so that the Debs will, like, go and try to stop her because she's trying to lure Amy there so she can get closer to her. And then Amy's like, ah, sorry, but I'm not romantically interested in you, Lucy. But then... Also, but... And then in that scene, Lucy also almost kills the Debs yeah. and is like, it's a booby trap. I'm like, um, excuse me. You almost killed the Debs. Yeah. She's like, what a good prank, huh? I'm going to laugh about this later. I was just like, I don't know if I want to be in a relationship with this woman now. I mean, we'll talk about the nature of their, like, the whole... Um... There's some strange twists. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, they kiss. Uh, Lucy and Amy kiss. And Amy's all like, she changes her mind. She goes with Lucy. The Debs all think that she's been kidnapped, but it's really just them hanging out, spending time together, and having a great time. Which is a great montage. Also, they do appear to be in plain sight almost all the time. Right. (laughs) Also, the montage is confusing uh, time-wise, because it to me, this montage appears to take place over the course of, like, many moons. Yeah, a long time. Uh, But they do mention later that she's only kidnapped for a week. Seven days. Seven days, yeah. (laughs) So they really, they just kind of made it seem a little bit more than it was, maybe. They they move really fast, I guess. The, I mean, the two of them, lesbians. Let's let's not talk about lesbian stereotypes quite yet, but you know. <laughs> also, they're in co- they're college age. I feel like in college, a million times, I would tell I would tell anyone I loved them after a week. <laughs> like, yeah, after they're like, do you days. love me? I'd be like, sure. I don't know. <laughs> Could be true. <laughs> so then, um, Miss Petrie orders a search for Amy, and the Debs find her while she and Lucy are naked and kissing. And so in an effort to cover up what would be a scandal for Deb's Academy, since, like, Amy was consorting with the enemy, right? they plan to, instead, they're going to name her Deb of the Year at the big Endgame event. And it's um, Max's idea. It's Max's idea. and she, She's very smart. And she's going to give a speech to accept this award, so to speak, and her ex-boyfriend Bobby is going to be there with her to make it look like they're together. Nobody has ever been more excited to take out a girl who has no interest in them than Bobby is to take her to Endgame. <laughs> yes. yes. When they're so dancing weird. on the dance floor, she's literally like 
standing still. Oh my and God. He's like busting all these moves. <laughs> not he, he doesn't look at her at all. Bobby is such a chode. It's wild. <laughs> yeah. I was pissed when Max called Bobby when they had a lead on where Amy was. I was like, man, Max. That's not what a friend does. Don't call the ex-boyfriend who's a, who wears puka shells. Yeah. Never call him. Never. Ever. Bad, bad Never choice. call puka shell guy. Ever. So we're almost at the end of the movie. Um, everyone is mad at Amy for her whole like consorting with the enemy thing. And she's forced to suppress her feelings for Lucy and say that, say that she's not in love with her. Um, even though that we know that she is. Uh, because she said oh, it. Oh, wait. <laughs> Sorry. Super quickly. We missed a really important part of the movie. Oh, what? The montage where Lucy Diamond decides to reform her ways. Oh, oh my okay. God. Yes. Oh, yes. Because in order to yes. be in love, you do need to change everything about yourself. Right. So exactly. Lucy's like, I'll do whatever it takes to win Amy back. And so she starts to return all the money that she stole from people. With the help and support of Scud. Scud is there. They're singing karaoke together in what appears to be her bedroom. Like, they're just It definitely an- is her bedroom. <laughs> then they pan out and there's four other people there dancing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, you it's know, ridiculous. like every crime operation has their backup dancers, okay? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah, true. Yeah. Um, Especially during a reform montage. Sure. Hang out loud. She has a little Batman signal that says yeah, Lucy Diamond does. that turns yeah. into Amy Be Mine. It's <laughs> <laughs> great. <laughs> so now we're at Endgame, which is essentially this ball prom kind of thing. And Amy is giving her speech, and Lucy shows up to be like, hey, I actually love you, and we should be together, which was sort of Scud's idea. Um, <laughs> and then Amy is like, hey, here's my speech. It's such an honor to be a Deb, and blah, blah, blah. And then she's like, but just kidding. And then she's just, yeah, she literally gives the whole speech, and then she's like... <gasps> comma jk and and that is why i actually need to tell you that i love lucy diamond uh also wait can we just comment real quick on the speech accepting the deb's highest award yes mary jane oh oh was that a weed joke (gasps) didn't get it it's just they're throwing them left and right wow Damn, I'm feeling like Look, it's taken many viewings of this movie to just really pick out all of the super subtle hints and, you know, just hidden language in there. There's a lot of, first of all, really funny jokes. And I feel like a lot (laughs) of them are fairly subtle. Like, there was stuff I was picking up on, I didn't pick up on until my, like, second viewing. And I feel like there's still a lot of stuff that I missed. So, yeah, I'm excited to go back and rewatch it. So uh, Amy's like, she professes her love for Lucy. Lucy is there. There's this big fight that unfolds. And then Lucy and Amy are running around. They cross paths again at the same place that they did the first time Mm -hmm. they meet. And they're like, oh, my God, let's be together. And then all the Debs show up and they're like, wait. So wait, does that mean that Endgame took place in the pool restaurant? Oh. Whoa. I guess. This movie That's their is only crazy. location. <laughs> for yeah, group like, scenes. They did have one building for 10 days. But that so takes place in, it's like a warehouse that they're running around in. So maybe there's really like, know what yeah, they, the, the basement are. warehouse under the pool restaurant. Which is also in Deb's Academy, maybe? <laughs> Deb's Academy, the exterior may have been mostly a green screen. I'm not totally sure. <laughs> I don't, I guess they sort, they could have been in the pool restaurant. So then Amy and Lucy are like, uh, yeah, let's be together. And the Debs are like, okay, we accept you. And that is pretty much the end of the movie. Yeah. 
They ride off into the sunset. They and ride Scott yeah. and Janet get together too. Yes. Yes, that's true. Happy endings all around. Indeed. Um, and then she has to be like, this is my boyfriend, Scud. <laughs> Which is too bad. That's the sequel. So that's the story. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll come right back. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV True Crime Podcast, to live and die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Hi. Hello. Oh, there's so much to talk about. Lots to talk about. So to start us off, Lee and Ellie, uh, we just wanted to get your 
take on just kind of the overall representation as as we already kind of talked about um this is one of very few like fun queer women movies that exist at all um (laughs) still (laughs) still to this day so we just wanted kind of to get your initial thoughts on like the representation of queer women in this movie and just sort of your initial take on on that there's a lot. There's a lot to be said. <laughs> There's so much. I mean, one thing we will say is I wish it wasn't so accurate to be like, oh, here's one lesbian. She's a crime lord. And here's the other lesbian. She's an overachieving student. And they're going to like move in and fall in love in approximately three hours. Um, <laughs> and then yeah, well, I mean, well, we have, yeah. well, we have U-hauling, which like we like to say is a lesbian trope. That honestly is true. Yeah. Like, you know, when you're like, that's a stereotype. But then you look around at all your friends and they're all live together and they've been together for like six months. So <laughs> describe for us what U-hauling means. OK, so <laughs> U-hauling is a lesbian term where basically there's a joke. What does a lesbian bring on a first date? A U-haul. Basically that uh, so they can move in <laughs> together. move in together very quickly. Oh, I'd never heard that term before. That's funny. <laughs> Oh, really? I thought that, like, everyone knew you hauling. But we just live in a lesbian world, so. Whoa. Yes, so it's just this, it's a stereotype that lesbians move very quickly, Mm -hmm. fall in love very fast, and go through, like, every stage of the relationship very quickly. Mm -hmm. So seven days isn't really that unrealistic. No, it's not. (laughs) I know. I I wish it was less accurate, but. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. (laughs) I do want to talk a little bit about one of the things that I think is problematic about Lucy Diamond. Yes. Even though I love her and she's so beautiful, she is the predatory lesbian stereotype. Yes. Like, which, what I mean by that is you have in lesbian movies usually one person who is already out and a lesbian or a bisexual, however they identify, but they're already out. And then you usually have someone who's in the closet and you have this person who's already out pursuing them very aggressively. And then kind of like trying to coax them and, out of yeah, the closet. Yeah, kind of trying to like turn them in a way, mm-hmm. which is very problematic. So Lucy Diamond at one point says, she's into me, but she just doesn't know it yet. Right. And then continues for the entire movie to basically hold Amy hostage in order to get her to fall in love with her. Right. Yes. Right. I found this to be very similar to another problematic trope that we come up upon in hetero romance movies. Just, I mean, predatory romance in general. Right. Like, basically framing stalking as romantic, where she does so many different things, where she shows up in Amy's room various times. Uninvited, Uninvited. She threatens her with a weapon to get Amy to go out with her. She robs a bank and then almost kills her friends to, again, try to get closer to her. I still can't get over the whole booby trap (laughs) excuse. I'm like, who are you kidding? (laughs) And Amy also is like, it's very sweet that you did that for me. Is it sweet? Like, I don't know if that's the right term. I feel like they're all things where if any part of this movie was even a little bit serious, it would immediately fall apart. Yeah, for sure. Because this is a very silly, campy movie. Oh, yeah. But 
yeah, that was one of the biggest things I noticed as well, where Lucy, she is basically stalking Amy, but it's framed as romantic, and this method of seduction yields successful results because they end up together. And not for nothing, I, I found it interesting where I totally agree that, that there are like elements of predatory romance between Lucy and Amy, but Bobby kind of does the same thing to Amy at the beginning of the movie where she can't get away from him and he's like, why'd you break up with me? Why'd you break up with me? And he's like popping up on all her, her devices, then he slides in on his freaky swing. He's like, <laughs> he's like, why'd you break up with me? Here, where are my dad's bracelet? And like it, it seems like a pattern in Amy's romantic life. Yeah, but the story doesn't really address that. Well, and, and yeah. when when Bobby's doing it, it's framed as she feels as though she's being pestered, and which is true. Uh, and it's annoying. Yeah, Invalid. yeah. But then when Lucy does it, it's like, oh wow, look how much she likes Amy, and look at all the effort she's going through to try to get with her. If in someone fact, keeps almost killing other people, <laughs> you don't just simply them. shouldn't be with them. In fact, Lucy even says at one point to Amy, she's like, you say I can't see you, I see you anyway. It's this little game we play. And it's supposed to be this, like, you know, cute moment. But it's like, no, you're (laughs) you're stalking her. Right. It's like, is it a game or do you have a tracker that somehow can identify everyone in the world as either not Amy or Amy? And she does have that, yes. (laughs) And And then when the writing also indicates that, like, being stalked is secretly what Amy really wanted anyways. And Amy really did want Lucy coming after her because this is what she, like, it just, it uh, it's just not a good message for, for young, impressionable little twerps. No, no not really. Even, even if that predatory lesbian returns giant cartoon sacks of money with dollar signs on them. <laughs> <laughs> which uh, just not enough right. well that was another I mean, I mean that was another uh thing that sort of bugged me about their relationship and i guess i mean it is such a campy movie that it what it's not like i feel like no i wish she was a mean bank robber forever but that <laughs> but that felt like another well-worn trope of like one person needs to change everything about themselves right. for this relationship to work like you have to where there's literally that scene with scud i just can't say it enough <laughs> uh, where like lucy's like man i really love amy and scud's like so do you want to give up everything you've worked for and lucy's like Yup. Cue the montage. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, and it's funny, too, because there's this huge running theme in the movie about, like, finding yourself, right? And they have that whole conversation when she's kidnapped being like, you know, you should be doing what you love. And Lucy's like, I am doing what I love. But then right. she like tosses that out the window, you know. Well, right. maybe she could be a pirate, though, Lee. Oh, that's true. Maybe she'll. Yeah. <laughs> that was so weird too. When <laughs> Amy's like, "Lucy, pirates are criminals," and Lucy's like, "Whoops!" Oh. I was like, what? <laughs> oh, everything I want to be falls under the criminal category. Ooh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so now, what's she, what's she gonna do after she's returned all this money? Like. Can she even afford to live now? It seems like she right. probably can't afford rent on her Look, big warehouse. Two people cannot live on a art grad student salary. I was going to say, if Lucy's <laughs> about to go, to go to grad school, they're fucked. Yeah. Plus, I do yeah. not assume that she did very well on her SATs because she, she definitely assaulted that dude. There. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, there's, I mean, who knows? There's a lot of parts of that relationship that just don't work in terms of setting an example but there were other scenes between the two of them that I really liked I really liked that scene 
where they were talking about, you know, Amy is going with the path that she was put on without questioning it. And then Lucy's challenging that. And she's like, yeah, I do bad stuff, but it's like that was a choice I made and I stood by it, which makes it weirder that she dials back on it later. Right. I liked that scene between them a lot. Like they do seem to challenge each other in a lot of ways and don't hold back, which is nice because Amy doesn't do that with her friends as much. Right. Yeah, you do. I feel like in so many mainstream movies, which of course are mostly hetero, you see the romantic relationship, if there is one in the movie. Mm-hmm. You rarely get a sense of like why the two characters like each other or what they connect about or what they even talk about. But I feel like in this movie, you get a more of a sense of why they connect. And yeah. it, it is... I mean, for the first chunk of it, Lucy is using some very questionable tactics and not even just the stalker (laughs) stuff. It's like she's also kind of like negging her and or like being condescending to her. Like in the scene when they're in the nightclub, she's just kind of like being mean to her in a weird way. Well, that's that's flirting, right? Yeah, that is flirting. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The timeless (laughs) tactic that works on us all. The the thing that comes out in the scene in in the club that made me laugh the most was like you can tell that maybe at some point uh, Angela Robinson gets the story note that like uh, we should make it like don't make Lucy too bad because in the, that like. Uh, Amy's like, well, haven't you killed a lot of people? And Lucy's like, no, they died of various diseases and or froze to death. So I'm actually a viable love interest. And Amy's like, okay. Because I'm not a murderer. I'm just right. a robber. Yeah. That right. that made me, I don't know. I, I thought that that was like very fun, campy, on purpose, bad writing. And I enjoyed it. <laughs> I hope it was on purpose. Because if not, that is nuts. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's, and, and that's sort of the one line where Amy's like, you're just not what I expected, you know? <laughs> yeah. And you're oh. like, ah, yes, there, I'm sold on this now. Yeah, you know when you ask someone if they murdered someone and they say no, you just believe them. Right. If they're hot. <laughs> <laughs> but only if they're hot. Yeah, only if you want to kiss them. Yeah. That's <laughs> and yeah, well, and I think it's believable too because their actual sexual chemistry is really believable, which yeah. we don't get very often in lesbian films. Mm-hmm. Because you have less of them. So the percentage of, like, good chemistry is going to be lower. Right. Sure. Yeah. But I actually like them together, like, when they're romantically together. They're cute together. Mm-hmm. They're believable. They're super cute yeah. together. Yeah. I was rooting for them. That montage, it's adorable. <laughs> yeah. A lot of sitting on cars. The milk, sh- yeah, yeah, spooning on cars, milkshakes. I'm like, yeah, sure. Gifting mm-hmm. each other handcuffs. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> just, just cute stuff. Uh, yeah. A, a thing I wanted to talk about is, in terms of like the queer representation, I feel like if there is a character in a movie who is like identifiably a lesbian. In mainstream movies, she's, I feel like she's often, she will often be fairly butch presenting. Mm. Unsurprisingly, a lot of these movies are written by straight people who have like a very specific idea of what lesbians look like and how they present. Um, So it's like pulling from those stereotypes and then helping to reinforce them. In this movie, the two queer characters who we see are very femme. Mm -hmm. And I feel like you rarely see that in not that this is an especially mainstream movie but 
like I said, in, in mainstream movies, you're seeing these very stereotypical ideas of how lesbians present and it's always like Mm -hmm. plaid flannel wearing like short hair like you know nice pair of overalls yeah Yeah. (laughs) yes well and this this is also one of the only movies that you have both of them being femme I do feel like a lot of the times you have one super butch lesbian and then one bisexual feminine woman Mm -hmm. (laughs) like that's like a very common pairing but to have both of them be femme presenting is not as usual. That's what I was Because I think thinking. they are trying to be like, well, look, there are different lesbians, but only if one looks like a man and one looks like a woman. Right. right. And like they're, they're, they have this like heteronormative look to them, even though they're lesbians. Right. Yeah. So I thought that was yeah. at the very least interesting that you, yeah. you see that on screen when it's normally not that way. Well, while we're on the topic of, of how characters are presented in in this movie, uh, just like a quick a quick moment for wardrobe choices. Oh yes, in oh, God. this movie. Uh, so it's a camp movie. I get that. However, I mean, I think that this this movie it's confusing because this movie is so over the top campy at times and I'm like I don't know if you if you are making a point or if this is just what was in the budget I had the same it's hard to know sometimes I wasn't sure if the costumes were commentary or if they were just not good enough enough money for more fabric yeah the budget being whatever they found in (laughs) Angela Robinson's pockets that day yeah (laughs) right because they are wearing private schoolgirl plaid skirts like that are way shorter than even the other students at Deb's Academy. I forget who said earlier that it looks like Halloween costumes. That seems like the perfect description. Which, one, is not appropriate for the spy stuff that they're doing. Like No. Because some of them are wearing heels. The swings, too, if anyone ever looks up. Exactly. If anyone looks up in that huge restaurant, they're going to be like, you know, I I don't know. We do know. We we know what you're getting at here. <laughs> I don't. There's the wardrobes. And this falls into like, I don't know. I mean, there's there's a lot of this movie seems to be parodying movies like Charlie's Angels. Right. But seem to just sort of be making some of the same choices without much commentary at times. Like if there was ever a point in the movie where it was pointed out that like, hey, this outfit doesn't make sense for what we're doing, then I would sort of be more willing to be like oh it's satire but they but they're just kind of always dressed in ways that they could be so easily killed right and <laughs> not practical and also where you just have to wonder i mean for how many guns they carry in this film where are they keeping them where do you hide yeah. your eight guns in that skirt <laughs> that's what i want to know and they're huge <laughs> huge guns yeah i w- i had a lot of these very same questions also when you consider the what I imagine as the intended audience of this movie, which is queer women, it then becomes, I guess, catering to like the queer female gaze rather than the male gaze, because, you know, it's these traditionally by Western beauty standards, traditionally beautiful women who all have the same body type. They're wearing these tiny skirts. Some of them are wearing shirts that reveal their midriff, like some of them are in heels. So it's catering to, I would think, a different gaze than we're used to seeing when it's, you know, a a mainstream But the outfits are the same. But they are the same. Mm -hmm. And it is still showing like this very specific and rigid standard of beauty, 
because again they all have the same body type and... yeah there's no there's no like diversity in terms of body type in this movie really at all no um, i mean max is a little shorter than the rest of them That's <laughs> <laughs> my uh i i was talking to my boyfriend about this movie today i guess he saw it on the sundance channel when oh. his mom wasn't home and he was 12 and he was like it honestly changed my life wow <laughs> it's one of isaac's favorite movies no way <laughs> i didn't realize girls could kiss other girls <laughs> <laughs> he's like my mom wasn't home and i just like i i taped it it was like adorable um we have to take another quick break but we will come right back bean dad the dress 30 to 50 feral hogs if you knew what any of those were you spend too much time online and hey i do too 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV True Crime Podcast, to live and die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, 
or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, speaking of the where do they keep their guns question, <laughs> there are women with actual weapons in this movie. And yeah, it makes sense for the, the genre. But we've covered so many movies recently where uh, if a woman has to fight someone, because they're a woman, they're fighting with kitchen appliances or cookware or mm. knitting needles. Or, or just... their words. They're right. fighting, <laughs> fighting words. <laughs> so in this movie, at least the women have guns. Uh, Not that I'm pro-gun by any stretch. But in an action movie, it stands It is appropriate, reason. yes. I mean, there are a lot of ways in which I have to say the women... You know, they get guns, they have agency, they're smoking, they're, you know, like sneaking boys into their rooms. Like, there's a lot of things where they don't, they don't really kind of treat them like they're not able to do the things that they're supposed to be doing. It's just right. in a very, very campy way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and even in their hand-to-hand combat, I don't think a Deb has ever been knocked out. But, like, all the men are just incapacitated. That is one of the cool... Yeah, yeah. I totally agree. Is is okay. Their abilities are never called into question, which Although, I have rare. one important question about Deb's abilities, which is <laughs> okay. when you have Endgame, right? Mm-hmm. And Lucy crashes Endgame, and Amy runs away with her, and everyone sees Lucy Diamond, and that dude sounds the alarm, and everyone freaks out and starts running. Isn't every single person at Endgame supposed to be a highly trained guy? <laughs> Oh yeah, they lose their minds. They're like, ah, <laughs> right. That is a great point. Like, why are those four devs the only devs who seem to have any idea of what they're doing? That's I did think that when question. I was during my first viewing, and then for some reason during the second viewing, I was like, I guess I don't care. But like in. <laughs> At the Debs school, I'm like, why are they the only four that ever get to do anything? Are the other right? Debs just not ready? Or are they doing stuff we just don't know they're about? They're freshmen. What are their classes about? <laughs> yeah, I think they're the top squad. Like, the top squad. Maybe they get gun privileges or something. I don't know. Seniors? Yeah. And then here's something I wasn't totally clear on. Is Debs Academy, like, an all-women school? Or are there... Do men go there as well? It doesn't look like it. But also, I don't know. Cause, but then, what is Bobby's deal? Because he's always wearing something that says Homeland Security. Yeah, yeah I don't think he goes to Deb's Academy. How did they meet? You know, spy. Does anyone just spy mixers. Meet? Oh, he was like, oh, oh, yeah, I'm dating a Deb. I'm part of Homeland Security. Like, <laughs> you meet on a stakeout sure. at the pool yeah. restaurant. Right. Oh, nice meet cute. Very cute. Yeah. yeah. But they do make Bobby look like an idiot, like in all ways. Oh, yes. Like he can, they can never find Lucy Diamond. At the end, he gets beat the crap out of by Lucy Diamond. Yeah. With literally one kick. He's yes. out. So the men in this movie are not great. Except for Scud. Except, Except for Scud. He also gets knocked out, though, by Janet. Yeah, but he lets her because he's in love. He's into <laughs> it, yeah. <laughs> Feminist icon Scud. Yeah. <laughs> because love is hard, Ellie. Harder than war, war is easy. Love is hard. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> the another thing that we don't get to talk about that much in this movie, I think, goes kind of halfway. Is you don't get to see women eat in movies a lot, mm-hmm. uh, which is also crazy. But we uh, there is that scene at the very beginning when they're with Michael Clark Duncan, where all four oh, yeah. of them at least order breakfast, and you yes. hear that at least Max appears to eat. 
food and the rest maybe not as much uh but dominique literally just gets a coffee coffee black but she's also she just exists on coffee and cigarettes and that's it like all good (laughs) french people do coffee Mm -hmm. cigs and sex are the three things (laughs) she does new podcast yes But I, I was, I was like, we didn't get to actually see women eat, but they did order. order. I feel like that's not quite enough. But <sighs> it's a step in a better it's 2005, direction. You know, mm-hmm. getting the order—that's progress. I wanted to go back quickly to sort of the conversation about basically just the fighting that we see, which is often the women fighting men. And we've talked about this on different episodes where it's like, okay, well, in a in an ideal world where we have gender equality, shouldn't women, like, shouldn't men be able to, like, fight women in these action scenes and, like, maybe even knock them out and stuff like that? And it's been a complicated subject that we don't really know how to broach, especially right. because in movies so far in where there's action sequences where there are women fighting, it's usually they're fighting other women. So Right. It's or been... they're only given a rolling pin with right. which to defend themselves. <laughs> in this movie, like we said, we see like women fighting and then usually kicking the shit out of the men that they're fighting. Yeah. Which, yeah. you know, I enjoyed. I, th- I feel like that's a step in the right direction. And I think that the, the reason that it doesn't really, like, I feel like that conversation, as important as it is, doesn't become super relevant to this movie because it's so campy. And so it's not like, you know, we know that the Debs are better fighters than all the guys they're going up against into going into it. So it's never like a battle to the death with... Uh, like with a man fighting a woman, like you know that Deb is going to win. Right. And that the man isn't going to die. So the stakes don't feel quite as like, you're like, okay, Bobby's going to get his ass kicked and we're going to love it. Right. Well, and there is also some way in which it it a little bit helps the cheesy high school Catholic schoolgirl outfits is that, you know, when you look at Bobby and the, like the CIA guys and all those other spies are out there with like, their suits and their outfits and their things and their bulletproof vests and their, you know, like, big commando boots and everything. And the Debs are just like, whatever, all I need is a tiny little skirt, maybe a flimsy button-down, some heels, and, like, a giant gun, and I'm still gonna kick your ass, right? It, like, it kind of has that same thing as, like, Buffy always did, where it's like, she's just gonna be out there in her jeans and her big blue duster coat and... And she'll always win. And And she'll she'll always win, win. exactly. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. It was weird. It was weird. I mean, seeing, I I agree that the the way that the like I think because the ability of the Debs is never in question, nor is the ability of Lucy that this movie. I mean, maybe that's what makes it so easy, and it's so comical how the men are defeated that. <laughs> Right, like it's because no one doesn't like watching Bobby get punched in the face. <laughs> it's different than seeing like Wonder Woman versus Captain America, and one of them is going to kill the other. You know, like it's uh, so campy. Jamie. Different comic just, universes. Caitlin, as you know, I don't give a fuck, and I never will. Got the day Lucy Diamond shows up in like the MCU. That's just oh gonna my be, god. Ooh, does that mean? It. Wait, does that mean that if they're in different universes, they can't meet? Uh, Captain America and Wonder Woman? 
ever they can never meet. I don't imagine. Well, I or mean, who knows? Maybe Marvel and DC will, uh, you know, 10 years down the line have to cross over. Hard to say. I hope that. Maybe there will be an, a Justice League versus Avengers movie. In fact, I'm pitching that right stop. here and right now. Maybe they should just stop Hear that, Hollywood? That. <laughs> they should just stop making all those. There's too many. I think there should be more Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse movies for sure. I think there should be at least 20 of those. But mm-hmm. yeah, they can take a break with these other I ones. I have a feeling there there will be if you just give them time. <sighs> I'll be patient. Um, okay. But, well, that's one of the things with the movie Debs is that our four main Deb characters are all women. Yeah. The main villain is a woman. The head of Deb's Academy, which is someone who all the Debs look up to, is a woman. Mm-hmm. All of the male characters are secondary or tertiary. Like you don't. Yeah. This is a movie populated almost entirely by women, and the the men who are in this movie are hardly in this movie. Yeah, they. I mean, at the beginning, they try to do like Michael Clark Duncan is very much like doing an angels wake up kind of thing, uh-huh. and then it's immediately revealed that. Holland Taylor is his boss. Right. Oh, wait, if we're (laughs) going to talk about problematic things, though, can we just real quick touch on Mr. Phipps, who, uh, I mean, while we talk about Lucy breaking into Amy's bedroom without permission all the time, can we talk about how he can apparently just, like, apparate um, into her bedroom? Hologram, apparate himself into her room, like, with no warning whatsoever. And then has the audacity to give an inspiring monologue (laughs) when he gets there. It's like, are you kidding me? And is it inspiring after you just told someone that your basic test for aptitude is how good of a liar you are? (laughs) Right. Right. I don't. It sounds like Debs should be the bad people based on the way they describe the test. Right. How they can lie, cheat, fight, and kill. Yeah. But then they're like, and you're the best at it, so you're a goody two shoes. (laughs) You're like, what? What? It's confusing. Who knows? Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a few scenes where there's a room full of people. Ms. Petrie will be there. The devs will be there. There will be like maybe one or two men in the scene. And the men are just treated the way that women often are in action movies, which is that they are basically scenery who yeah. are extras, who don't say anything. Um, there's the scene where uh, Ms. Petrie is promoting Amy to squad captain and she's accompanied by two men and another woman and the two men don't have any lines in that scene it's only women talking there's another scene it's like the aftermath of amy being discovered um having a romantic relationship with lucy and all the debs are there miss petrie's there bobby and phipps are there but i think bobby has one line in that scene and otherwise men do not talk in that scene it's just like Mm -hmm. And it's only after Max tells him exactly what he's doing. Right. You're going to take Amy to Endgame. She's like, okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. Bobby's basically in that scene to be offended that anyone might find out that his ex-girlfriend is into a a girl. Right. Yeah. Which he he later dials back on with a gross comment also (laughs) on the swing, which I don't think it's any mistake that that statement and the puka bracelet are in the same scene. (laughs) Yeah. You're like, Yuck. yeah. He's like, oh, that lesbian thing. It's actually pretty hot. Yeah. And then he goes, it's night. Oh, and his fucking yes. like, ew. He's like, I know you still love me, and uh, your whole lesbian thing. That's kind of hot. <laughs> and then, yeah, yeah, I think that that and uh, Janet has one line at some point when when she's trying to like shame Amy for the whole thing, and she's like, you're just a slut. 
a gay, a gay slut. slut. I think yep. those yes. are two of the worst lines for me in terms of, you know, problematic things said in the movie. For sure. Yeah. There's a few other things that are like pretty homophobic, I would say, in the movie. But I think because it's so campy, you... I think you do realize like those characters are clearly they're making it portrayed that they're wrong. Even Miss Petrie tells Amy like you were out having your college lesbian experiment. Yeah. Right. Like this is just a phase that you're having and you you embarrass the Debs by being an experimental lesbian, which is obviously problematic. Right. Were there any characters that made those comments that didn't receive comeuppance later? Because I was trying to keep track of, because once Bobby made that comment in the scene, in both of those scenes, it's, I don't know, I my head just went to like, okay, he has to get his ass kicked or this movie isn't doing what it's supposed to be doing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, um, I think Janet yeah, gets Janet. away scot-free and she's yeah. probably the most homophobic of everyone. Mm-hmm. Because she is shaming Amy so hard for liking yeah. uh, Lucy Diamond. When, mm-hmm. when they almost kiss, she's so offended. Yeah, when, right. She yeah. has that whole, like, she almost kissed you, and you, you almost, almost let, let her. her. Mm-hmm. That's something that I'm, I'm interested in, in, in what everyone thinks about. Like, the, the story, I feel like, protects itself in a lot of ways, in, in a way where it's able to say kind of problematic things, but because they set it up as, like, Amy's a hero and Lucy's a villain, and conflating those, the two issues. Right is sometimes they're saying something about like it's kind of coded language of like sometimes they're talking about like well the hero doesn't like hook up with the villain but they're also not talking about that I don't know it seems like the Janet character especially kind of gets away with stuff like that by couching it with well she kills people so you can't be with her also the thing I'm not fully saying right right yeah Except for the times that she does fully say it. And because that's the thing is Janet is doing all of the same stuff at the very same time. Like she's also in contact with Scud and having this whole flirtation. But it's different because he's a boy. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. But I I would say at least my read on it is that in most cases, in many movies, if a homophobic thing is stated, that is how the movie feels about it rather than mm. how a character who is framed as being wrong by the movie right. feels about it. So I feel like it, with the exception of Janet and her sort of weird take on everything and then getting off scot-free about it, I feel like generally the homophobic things that are said are said by characters who we as the audience understand. That feels more satirical in a lot. And, or. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, even and and even with Holland Taylor's, I kind of wish Holland Taylor's character was a little more double down on like her being clearly very wrong. Mm-hmm. But we always know that she. I mean, we we it's already set up that she's a problematic person in general when she doesn't give a fuck about any of her mentees until they do something that makes her look good. So right. she's already set up as like a very petty person and so when she goes on to make comments like that it's like well we already don't like her yeah yeah i feel like miss petrie is not the uh the redeemable character in this i feel like it's the the arc is supposed to teach you about finding yourself and being true to who you love and it does that not using her it's kind of you know you're watching that with lucy and amy max to a certain extent is a character who i think is shown having that growth of realizing, like, oh, well, a true friend will support you no matter what. Right. Mm -hmm. 
Agree. Max, I mean, well, we haven't talked about that friendship a lot yet, but Max and Amy's friendship is also very interesting. And also because their power dynamic in that friendship shifts a couple different times in the space mm-hmm. of the movie yeah. where at the beginning it's clear that max is in charge of the friendship she's like hey if you go to art school i'll fucking kill you and amy's <laughs> like okay and so it's like okay max is in charge and then you see her have like that crisis and it's the thing is like when amy's put in charge of the debs for not being killed by lucy i don't know exactly where the movie how the movie wants you to feel but i was like Oh, if I was Max, I would also be upset because yeah. Amy's always talking about how she doesn't want to be a Deb. Max is busting her ass mm-hmm. and then has it taken from her because Holland Taylor's character isn't paying close enough attention to what the truth is. Right. And <laughs> and so I was like on Max's side for a good portion. And then she is very professional for the most part and like compartmentalizes and like is like, OK, we're on the same team, so uh, I'll do it. And then. Amy immediately fucks up right. and yeah. almost gets all of her friends killed. Mm-hmm. So I'm double on Max's side. But then at the end, the dynamic switches again when Max is like, okay, deny everything and like play by the rules. And then I didn't like her again. I don't know. That character is all over the place. But then she. <laughs> and then at the end, she's like, just kidding. Yeah. She's like, it's almost know. like careful character development was not the most important <laughs> thing in this movie. She's just flip flopping all over the place. I was on I was on Max's side for a lot of the movie and yeah, then yeah. she she really lost me uh in that scene where it's explicitly Max who is like this is my idea deny 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 get back with the your homeland security puka shell guy I'm like what yeah. is yeah the second she suggests Bobby it's all downhill for you from there, yeah. Max. And literally puts words into her mouth. She's yeah. like, here's yeah. a speech that I wrote for you. Say everything that I say. Even when the other girls are like, what if she's in love? What if she makes her happy? I right. hope that Amy and Max had a long discussion after the movie is over. Really <laughs> sorted their shit out. Yeah, Max out. pops up from the back seat in the car and uh, they talk <laughs> out their feelings. Oh, good. Well, what what I couldn't help but notice about that relationship dynamic is that the two non-white Debs in the group Mm -hmm. are, when it comes to Dominique, she has very little screen time and or bearing Mm. on the story. Absolutely. She's basically just there as a visual joke who's always smoking a cigarette or... And having sex, which is pointed yeah right and someone even calls i think it's amy who calls her like a sex addict and it's like no maybe she just that whole line is problematic because she calls people crazy and sex addicts yes that whole line can go um (laughs) so it's either dominique not having any bearing on the story or it's max whose actions are often presented as an obstacle for Amy. So she ends up being sort of an antagonistic force mm. for Amy a lot of the time. And meanwhile, you know, Amy is a blonde white lady and mm-hmm. the characters who are people of color are either not doing much in the story or they are in some way an antagonistic force. Yeah, and I mean, you- they're they're very much there to help Amy's story develop and not much else. There's they're not Absolutely. very consistent. There's no real growth or any like, you know, there's not as much given to them as characters. Yeah, they're they're kind of props. And and we're super we're we want to know from our listeners like how you read that scene. I've had I that that's 
that was the one reason why Max pushing back and being so frustrated when Amy just gets promoted out of nowhere. That's kind of like one of the reasons why that story point worked for me because it is just like this blonde white girl who accidentally does the right thing mm-hmm. is um, <laughs> is immediately put in charge and then uh, one of the only people of color in the entire movie who we know really cares about what she's doing has gone unrecognized right. uh, her work's gone unrecognized forever and she's just displaced immediately and she's like she calls her friend out on it and not for that explicit reason but mm-hmm. I don't know that that was part of the reason why I, I was like, oh yeah, Max, f- yeah, fuck that. Like that's that's horrible. Uh, but then, but then they kind of sell that character out through poor writing. Yeah. <sighs> oh, sigh. Oh well. Uh, movies are bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, there's another very quick problematic line that gets said by Scud whenever they are doing this bank heist to lure no, Amy. No, not Scud. Scud. Oh, I know. That line. It's he so says, bad. He says the R word. And... No, he does? Yeah. He does. I yeah. missed that. Yeah. Scud. And it's funny because the way that he says it and the sentiment behind that line and his delivery of it is perfect and that line just needs to go is the, the thing it, it yeah. should have been a different word, word. right yes. like if it but, had been yeah. any other word i mean it's definitely one of those things where it's like it is a byproduct of a movie that was made in, in the early 2000s yeah. and like you'd never see that line of dialogue these i mean i also think that's true of the guns i feel like you would never see the movie done this way with the guns the way they are or the outfits i bet like yeah. i don't think the outfits would be quite mm-hmm. that way yeah i, I think that uh, I, I didn't realize that the R word was yeah. used in this movie. I would not to cut a break in any way, but I, I do sort of agree that that is a byproduct of the time it was made in. Yeah, uh, it is. But that's I'm surprised that it didn't jump out at you because it is. It's so noticeable. I feel like when you watch the movie, to me, it, it immediately was like this beacon where you're like, oh, you can't say that. Like, <laughs> you know, because if you were watching it. it today, you'd be like, who approved this line? Come right. on. You know, I was too busy whacking off to Scud to listen to what he was <laughs> saying. <laughs> Understandable. <laughs> uh, that might be the single worst sentence you've <laughs> ever said, Jamie. Whacking off the scud? I think that's a fun <laughs> phrase. Oh, goodness. Um, I did want to just quickly point out Amy's thesis. She says, my central hypothesis is that as a woman operating in a male-dominated field, you felt the need to overco- overcompensate. She's talking to Lucy. Yeah. You felt the need to overcompensate by being uh, exponentially more ruthless and diabolical than your established male counterparts. Yeah. And I think that these psychological forces combine to create a kind of emotional vo- void in which you're incapable of loving or being loved. Honestly, Amy's thesis sounds like a feminist text that I yeah. really? do want to read. <laughs> well, well, I I don't know. I thought I didn't really love that thesis of like, I feel like that is that, that thesis to me almost came off a little blamey of like, well, if, sure? if women didn't <laughs> resent their male co-workers so much they wouldn't be killing so many people <laughs> I was like well hold on I don't know that that felt a little product of its timey and sure. the phrasing yeah I didn't it. give it, it much is, thought but something else that I also really love about it though is like from a queer perspective you know I think there's that whole idea of it's like it's not that you can't love you just don't love the way everyone expects you to you know mm-hmm. I did kind of like that part of it yeah 
I like that whole scene because I I don't know every scene where Lucy and Amy are pushing back on everything the other person says is good to me. <laughs> it it is it except is good. It is it, good to me. There's a way in which it's well. It's not that it's bad. It's just there's a way in which I'm gonna completely undo everything we just finished saying about how like the Debs are just so competent and they can do everything that men can do in heels and skirts and they don't need anything. Everyone in this movie is the worst spy. <laughs> and that scene is one great example where Amy's like, I have you at gunpoint, but like, oh, hold on, let me just tuck my gun under my arm to shake your hand and introduce myself and tell you about my thesis. <laughs> and the only place where people are even worse spies than that is when the entire search and rescue operation descends upon Lucy Diamond's lair, finds her in a sheet, and doesn't <laughs> arrest her still. They just they leave. leave. Yeah, they're oh, so yeah. shocked. Really <laughs> they funny. just walk away and leave her there. Even Max, who's supposed to be like the secret genius of right. the Debs, is like unbelievable yeah. and just like beats it. Like it's <laughs> just, just leaves. And they, oh, they leave and they don't it. even drive Amy home. They leave her to walk. <laughs> that They're not very good spies. I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> no. God damn it, Debs. They're uh, not. The the last thing I, I had to say uh, about Des was I, I went back and I watched the short film it was based on. Has yes. anyone seen it? Yes. I, yes. It is. I mean, it is so it won a ton of uh, awards uh, the year it came out. It came out in 2003. So it seems like this short film did really well and it was immediately put into production to become a movie. With the um, same budget. With with the same budget, except most of the budget went to paying Holland Taylor. Uh, <laughs> uh, but the, the, the short film. And Puka I, Shells. If, Exactly. High-end puka shells. Uh, if you're listening and you haven't seen the short film, highly recommend it. It is even, it moves even faster. It's like raunchier. And if I'm not mistaken, I think that the short film does have an all-queer cast, uh, while the theatrical movie does not, or at least a majority queer cast, uh, which I don't know. I mean, I, I think that, yeah, I'm not the most qualified person to, to make this comment but it does seem like very often uh queer films when they're adapted for a larger audience are dare i say sanitized a little bit and straight actors are cast in queer roles i i'm fairly certain i think I, if my research didn't fail me amy and lucy are played by straight actresses and in the original short film that was not the case wait is claire kramer queer am i like just learning this now in the Amy and in in the sh- in the in the short film, the original short film. Oh no, you're right. I think it's the four Debs that are that are queer. There's a majority. Why queer would you cast taunt us time. like that? I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god. I'm so sorry. I was like, wait, my whole world is opening up. There. <laughs> no. Also, Claire it is Kramer worth... of Glorificus fame from Buffy. <laughs> I got really excited that she was no, queer. No, I'm. I'm so sorry. No, she she <laughs> appears to be the only straight woman in the movie. Uh, or in it's the fine. I'm just going to cry myself to sleep tonight. It's no problem. I've fully <laughs> ruined everyone's life. Uh, the one the one carryover from the short film's cast is uh, Jill Ritchie, who plays Janet. Who, fun fact, is Kid Rock's sister. So, wow. just a wild, amazing thing. There's amazing. A, Debs is one degree of separation from Kid Rock. <laughs> Who knew? Something we all needed to know. Yes. yes. 
Lee and Ellie, do you have any uh, other final thoughts about the film Debs? I do have one final thought, which is just, I think while we, it's so fun to rag on Debs, and I love ragging on Debs because I love it so much. Um, I do think it's important to also mention that while we make fun of their their low budget and the effects and the everything, that it is interesting to see the transition from Debs to what Angela Robinson can do with a budget, um, yes. which is Professor Marston. And mm-hmm. it's such a far cry between those two movies that I just think it's at least worth pointing out, you know? That Angela Robinson is still a beautiful human being. Oh, For yes. giving us Debs and Professor Marston. And Professor Marston. Yeah. Agreed. And it goes to show when you have a queer woman writing and directing a movie about a queer love story, it's handled. This is not to say this movie is not without its problems, but (laughs) it is handled much better than when these stories are attempted by non-queer people. And usually those stories aren't even attempted by non-queer people, but it, it helps when the person who is creating this story and this content is someone who has experience and knowledge about these topics. Yeah, absolutely. And it's heartening to see that uh, someone making their perfect art about uh, the queer spies can go on to have uh, an incredible, I mean, she's had an incredible career. Professor Marston is amazing. She didn't, she uh, write and direct quite a few, uh, L word and true blood and like she's like yeah. making bank. She's chilling. Yep. Mm-hmm. Is she a woman of color? Yes. Yes. That is surprising me then the way that the women of color are treated in Debs then. But I would guess maybe it was producers. Could be. Yeah, I also feel like I think it stands out more with Max. I don't know that Max is that much less consistent of a character than everyone else in this movie. I mean, I think it's just everybody who is not Amy and Lucy kind of gets short shrift in this. For sure. True. Um, And Lucy, Jordana Brewster is part Brazilian. I don't know exactly how she identifies in terms of her ethnic identity, but she perhaps identifies as at least mixed. Not totally clear on that. But, you know, there's... I'll text her. Yeah, please Please text her and and let us know what you find out. Mm -hmm. Great. So... Does this movie pass the Bechdel test? The toy. <laughs> yeah. Big fat yes on that. You know, an easy way to pass the Bechdel test is have two women, and instead of having them talk about a guy, have them talk about how much they want to bone each other. Yeah. <laughs> Done. Surefire way. Um, and in one of the very few scenes that I found where they do talk about men, they are talking about Bobby and... Uh, Amy's like I broke up with Bobby and someone says why and she's like he was just so boring and then someone else says yeah he's an ass so (laughs) when men are being talked about it's usually in an insulting way which Mm -hmm. is great um I think also uh super producer Sophie pointed out that this movie would not pass the reverse Bechdel test in that there are not two men, I don't think even talking to each other in the whole movie, but there might, if there is. I do think that that's, uh, that doesn't sound, yeah, it doesn't, I don't I think there's that scene where Scud's playing bingo with some guys. (gasps) But nobody responds to him. Yeah, and and they certainly don't have names. Yeah, we don't know who any of those guys are. The name of my new band is Scud's Playing Bingo. (laughs) (laughs) 
and this is a rare case of a movie passing the Vito Russo test. Mm. Uh, and if you listeners are not familiar with what that is, um, the Vito Russo test requires that a film must contain at least one character who is identifiably LGBTQ+. That character must not solely or predominantly be defined by their sexual orientation or gender identity. Uh, in other words, they should be made up of the same sort of unique character traits that are commonly used to differentiate straight characters from one another. Treated like people? But yeah. Oh, so Whoa. strange. <laughs> Wild. Um, and the LGBTQ character uh, must be tied into the plot in such a way that their removal from the story would have a significant impact. So this movie, without question, passes the Vito Russo test as well as the Bechtel test. So, Amazing. in fact, I would say, in terms of the Bechtel test, this is just sort of like an estimated guess, but I would say around 70% of the movie is characters passing the Bechtel test. Yeah, yeah It's like yeah. constant, constant conversations with named women who are not talking about men. So, and just imagine if they had cut Bobby's character, it could have been like ninety eight percent. I mean, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think we need more Bobby erasure. Yes, yes. Uh, except when it's King of the Hill, and in that, <laughs> in that case, more Bobby. More Bobby? More okay, Bobby. that's an interesting take. Um, we can have a Bobby debate. Okay. Later. <laughs> so let's rate the movie on our nipple scale, a uh, rating of zero to five nipples based on its portrayal of women. Um. Hmm. I. Ooh, this is hard. This is a. This is. A, I'm gonna give it. I think four nipples. Okay. Because there are brief problematic moments here and there. The movie does, as we discussed, subscribe to some of the stereotypes that we see of queer women, but the fact that the main cast is almost entirely women, mm-hmm. and a and an, and a pretty diverse cast. Fairly, yes, well. more diverse than your ordinary movie, but certainly in two thousand five. Yeah, but still no diversity in terms of body type, um, at least among mm. the main four Debs. Yeah, I think that aside from a few problems that the movie has, which I think can be attributed to it being a movie of two thousand four, mm. um, I would say it does fairly well in terms of showing women who have agency and who are propelling the story forward and it's fun to watch it's a it's a funny movie it is silly as fuck but like as we discussed there's so little movie without the women in it there's a movie without any of the women is basically bobby on a swing with some bracelets (laughs) screaming at the top of his lungs right (laughs) the movie doesn't exist without the like six main female characters that are needed for this story right so just, and Scott playing bingo would also. Be <laughs> so. I would watch that short film honestly. <laughs> yes. Um, so it's great, and the fact that it's uh, as we discussed, one of only a very small number of like fun queer women comedy movies yeah. in existence. Um, I think that's great. So yeah, I'm gonna go with four nipples, and I'll give one to each of the four Debs. Ah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, I'm going to go three and a half. Uh, and the reason we didn't touch on this very much, but something that always kind of bugs me in, in movies is when friendships are disrupted by a relationship and mm. a, a new relationship suddenly destroys your friendship structure entirely and sends your entire life into chaos. Yeah. And I, I was trying to uh, like go through that uh, entirely. And I do think that in some ways, like Amy's relationship totally shakes the foundation of like her relationship with all of her female friends. And that was something that like didn't, I don't know, even though like her character ultimately grows and I think finds the best of both schools of thought and whatever moves forward. That was like one thing that I was like, I didn't love that. I don't know. I mean, and I guess movies need conflict. And if you have a majority female cast, there's going to be a lot of uh, conflict and infighting between women. But just the whole new relationship uh, completely destroying a friendship group for the most part Mm -hmm. wasn't my favorite thing. But it's also basically a queer decom, which is incredible. <laughs> uh, I, I I don't know. I mean, it's like it's such a fun movie. I haven't enjoyed watching a movie twice back to back in a very long time. And it's great. I mean, for all the fun ragging on the low production values, it's a good movie and it's funny. The story and is tight. For the most. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's an, it's mm-hmm. less than an hour and a half long. What more could you ask for? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so I thought, I mean, I thought it was a blast. Uh, so I'll, I'll give it a three and a half or three and three quarters. I don't know. Somewhere, somewhere it's a scientific, there's a Wikipedia page. Did you see that where people are leaving? So now I feel more conscientious of my nipple ratings and I'm like <laughs> losing sleep over it. Wait, there's a, a Wikipedia page for, for us. Us, and then they write down what <gasps> the, the nipples, nipples we gave. Oh wow, it's really stressful. Actually, I knew about the page. I didn't know that they were like documenting all of our nipple giving. It's updated rather frequently. Okay, so for whoever is making the Wikipedia page, I say three point seven five. And I final answer. Yes, final answer. I'm gonna give. Also, if you are making the Wikipedia page, uh, let us know that it's you, so that we can credit you if you want. So uh, I guess I'm going to give one to each of the Debs, except I'm giving slightly less of one to Janet. Okay. Sorry, Janet, but you are Kid Rock's sister, so (laughs) life's hard. (laughs) Uh, Lee, do you want to go next with your rating? Yeah, I do. And I'm so torn as well, because I feel like if I vote with my heart and my nostalgic love for this movie, I want to give it four nipples. I I do also feel like I think it comes in slightly lower than that. And I think my problems do have to do somewhat with the fact that I, I think Ellie and I both have our issues with the whole predatory lesbian trope. And I also do have an issue with the fact that I feel like they really toy in this with um, the age that they're supposed to appear. Mm. And so when you combine the predatory lesbian trope with the fact that they're very much casting them as like high school girls, even though they try to make it clear that they're not, but it sort of keeps presenting them that way, like I, that I have a hard time with. So yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe somewhere around, you know, three and a half. Can we do we get to assign them as well? Yes. yes. Oh, this is so exciting. I wasn't I didn't <laughs> prepare well enough for this. Uh okay, if I have to assign three and a half nipples, I am gonna assign uh one to Scud for his excellent motivational quotes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I'm going to give one to Max because I just, I think Max should get something more in this movie. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to give one to uh, Angela Robinson. Nice. Ooh, good call. For, uh, you know, just the, the gift of this and other things that she has given queer women. And I'm going to save my last half a nipple and I'm going to gift it to Australia because, like, what did Australia do to you? Right. Damn. Australia Amazing. gets sank or almost. I don't like their attitude. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think I have to agree with you, Lee, that it, it's around a three and a half. Mine is because of some of the homophobic comments mm. that just, like, even if you're saying them in satire, I think they create a problematic message of friends not being supportive of their friends in lesbian relationships. Mm-hmm. And I think also the relationship between Lucy and Amy, where, of course, I love seeing them together, but when you actually take their relationship and put it on paper, it's very stalkery. Yes. So yeah. I really don't like that. That being said, I am going to give a nipple to Lucy Diamond because nobody has given her a nipple <laughs> oh, yet. So true. <laughs> and what, she just... What a hero, she, Ellie. She needs one, all right? Um, I'm also going to give a nipple to Max, of course. Mm-hmm. And Miss Petrie because I love all the time. <laughs> all yeah. Two. And then half will have to go to Dominique because I feel like she's the underdog of this. She has a lot of agency, and she's very sex positive to me. She's so Even sex though Amy positive. calls her a sex addict. Yeah. So there you go. There we go. Love it. Well, thank you to both of you so much for being here with us. Yeah. Uh, this has been such a fun episode and such a fun movie to discuss. Thank yeah. you for having us. Of yeah, course. thank you. Where can people find you and follow you online? Is there anything that you would like to plug? In terms of social media, you can find us at Les Hangout Pod on all the social medias, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And we also have a YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Les Hangout Pod. And we post songs on there. We actually write original songs based on lesbian movies. Oh, cool. So you can see some of those on our YouTube channel. Yes. Awesome. Um, yeah. You can also follow us uh, individually, our, our social media things. I'm on Twitter and on Instagram at LSH Foster. And I'm at Ellie Brigida. Uh, And we do want to plug, we have our very first live show coming up on February 18th at the Bell House in Brooklyn. Um, So we will be doing some fun things there about movies that should have been gay, even if they weren't. Ooh, nice. that sounds awesome. Oh, man, I wish we could go. That yeah, so fun. let's take a trip to New York. We're probably going to do one in LA at some point. So hopefully <gasps> Yay. we can catch you there. Yeah, let we'll us know. Uh, well, thank you again so much for being here. Uh, you can follow us, the Bechtelcast, on social media platforms at Bechtelcast. You can subscribe to our Patreon, a.k.a. Okay. Matreon, where you get two bonus episodes every single month, and it's only $5 a month. You can go to Bechtelcast.com. We have our merch store there, or you can go to tpublic.com slash thebechtelcast, and you can get all of our cool merch all of our designs all of our items are right there yeah get it for your sweetheart oh yeah or yourself anybody or your brother or your sister literally anyone whatever floats your boat i just gave my dad a bechdel cast mug because my dad is a dad and therefore he likes mugs dads love mugs and i sent it to him and he sent me back a text of his mug full of pens and the caption was my pens 
So Bechtel cast mugs are great for pens. Must Confirmed. love mugs Must is love. Yeah. my dad's dating profile. <laughs> yeah. uh, and rate and review us on iTunes and all that fun stuff. And uh, otherwise, uh, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.